And we were out there telling the real story, what was happening, what was our plan going forward? Because if you don't do that, typically investors or analysts will will make their own view. And in some cases, that's not the right view, right? Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. So my guest on today's episode of the Inspire podcast is Paul Butcher. And Paul has, Paul, I feel like you've crossed the divide for, for what, a decade? You were a client of the Humphrey Group. You were head of investor relations for CN, one of our longtime clients. You, re, you retired in June, and now you're joining us on the pod as the brand new head of the Humphrey Group's Investor Relations Podcast. So, Paul, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks a lot, Bart. Great to be with you today. And and hopefully we get a lot of people that will uh, listen into this podcast. And, you know, to be honest, I, w- I was actually thinking of retiring in June. And, and I think we uh, we had a little conversation during the summer and you convinced me to shorten up my retirement for uh, for about two months here. But, uh, re- you know, really, really excited. And Paul, I know not only did you have a great run at CM, but you won a couple awards. You were uh, Investor Relations Executive of the Year twice, right? Yeah, it was uh, it was it was a great honor. It it, it was a, a great journey at CM. So I'm very proud of that. Yeah, and I I feel very privileged to have learned so much in working with you and your whole team and the executives. And and that's why I think you know rolling this back, you know, we started talking about the potential of doing something together. And you know, just for those listening, you know, we historically as a, a leadership communication company have, have done training, but we've had the great privilege to do some very specific work with CN on the investor relations. And I think, you know, what, the reason I want to have you on the pod is, you know, you and I, I think through our discussions have come to realize that, you know, communication is a fundamental component of successful investor relations and that companies like CN that take investor relations so seriously uh, and approach communication with intention can really maximize shareholder value. So what I wanted to have you on the pod is to talk about, for those who don't really know inside what investor relations is all about, to take them inside the world of IR. And it is a machine for those who haven't worked in it with just unrelenting quarterly filings, deadlines, calls. It's a machine that you ran with great effectiveness for so many years. And so I'm wondering if we could if we could talk through how uh, an award-winning company like CN approaches investor relations. And I know in, when we were prepping for this call, we talked about five lessons that you've drawn. And the first one you shared with me was that the best companies when it comes to investor relations really view investor relations as a way to unlock shareholder value. What is shareholder value and what does that mean? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question. And, and to be honest, sometimes, you know, in, in investor relations, you know, to, what, what for us is the best metric to value our performance, mm-hmm. actually? And, and, and a lot of times people think about, well, it's, it's the share price. I mean, as you know, uh, you know, the share price can be impacted by many, many things that, you know, I don't have control on, right? If the economy's 
you know, recession, yeah, that may impact. And particularly if you think of a company like CN that really is, is tied to the general economy. So I think we need to look at it a bit in a different way. I think you want IR to drive value. I think you look at it in the sense of how it compares to your peers, right? And that's really the way I would track our performance is how our stock would be doing relative to our main competitors, which in this case would be the uh, the other railroads in North America. And also, I think a key point as well would be something like uh, evaluation, right? So how much investors are expected are willing to pay for a dollar of earnings. And the higher that number is, then the better you are, the better valuation you are. So these are, I think, uh, a couple of, of, of ways to drive shareholder value. And also, I think what's important is to being very proactive, right? Being okay. out there. It's always fun when things are going well that, you know, you're out there talking to investors or, you know, the, the performance is doing well. But I think it's as important, if not more important, when, you know, times are more challenging, right? And we faced at CN, we faced some of these situations a number of years ago, and we were out there telling the real story, what was happening, what was our plan going forward? Because if you don't do that, typically investors or analysts will take, will make their own view. And in some cases, that's not the right view, right? So, so, so just let me, let me jump in there, Paul, on that, because I think you, you've raised them. So the first two points you made really strike me as more about the business. I mean, rather than like to really, for example, out-compete or to be valued higher than your peers, you know, to have the you know value for a dollar of earnings. And whereas the third one is about, you know, the role of investor relations, you know, being out there. How how are those two tied? Like, you know, for example, let's say you have an outstanding company, it's it's better than its peers, but you have poor investor relations. Like, how will that impact it? Or invert it. Let's say you have the, the best investor relations team in the world, but the company's performance is mediocre. Talk to me a bit about how those the interplay on those two fronts. Yeah, I think it's it, definitely from, uh, I would take it the way the, your, your last point in terms of, you know, a company that has a great IR with, uh, and, you know, under circumstances or performance that are a bit, you know, lackluster in, in certain times of, of, of uh, uh, certain periods. Uh, I think that, that that is where you really get the real benefits of a good IR team. And I, I've heard a number of, you know, uh, studies that have been done that says, you know, good IR will influence your stock price, but bad IR, you know, also influence your stock price. So that's why for me, the importance of being out there and being proactive, because as your company, let's say underperforms, then that means that there's probably a gap in terms of the valuation versus your peers. And if you're explaining your story in a good way, in an efficient way, your narrative is good, I think investors then see at one point it's an opportunity. You know what? This company is still a very good company. They're going through, you know, maybe some short-term challenges. For me, it's a good opportunity. It's a good entry point into this uh, this company, which will ultimately pay off. So I think there's a lot of communication. But I think, you know, when things are good, it's good. Always good to be out there. But when things are more challenging. It's as important, if not more important, to be out there. Maybe a bit less fun for you and the executives, but yes. I think you know. Yeah, the, the, I mean, yeah, no, no, it's more fun to give good news. But I think, look, the point I'm taking away is, you know, it's not that it can move your stock price on its own, but you'll never realize the potential that your company 
from a valuation standpoint, unless you're doing a great job in investor relations. And conversely, if you don't do it, it can hurt you. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. That's okay, so exactly that's point right. one. View it as as really a strategic way to drive shareholder. Point two, when we were talking, you talked about one of the things that you always appreciated at CN, and I, I saw it working side by side with you and the senior, is the buy-in from leadership to the investor relations process. Talk to me a bit about like, you know, what does that look like? If, if someone is in, let's say someone joins an IR team at a company, what should they look for from their executives to get that buy-in? I think what's, what's important there is, as I said before, I mean, I, I would, depending on which CEO was, the, was, was at Siena during the, my times at, in IR, I would either report to the C, directly to the CEO or directly to the CFO. Okay. And, and I think, as, as we've said earlier, a big part, you know, I'm really the voice, the IR person is the voice of the company to the outside, right? So if I'm not directly involved in the strategy or better or really understanding the strategy of the company, well, it will be hard for me to explain that to the street, right? So having that buy-in and having, you know, the, 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 the senior leadership really understand the value of IR and believe that this function is a critical function of the company well, for sure, what that helped me is I'm, I, was, I was part of all, you know, the, most of the executive, all the executive meetings, senior leadership meetings. I understand the strategy. I understand any changes or any things that, that's happening out there. So that gives me a really good overview and ability to explain that strategy to, to the outside, which, you know, at the end of the day, that's the first line of contact between an investor and a company is IR, right? So if I'm not doing my job right at the beginning, well, they're going to move on to another company, right? So I don't have, you know, I don't have as many, uh, how do you say, at bat maybe uh, to, to go and talk to investors. So I got to make it right the, the, the first time. And, and that's why when you get the buy-in, you really understand the story. You can explain mm-hmm. it well. Yeah, well, well said. And another kind of buy-in, I, I see. And I don't think people who, if you haven't worked in investor relations or been participating in the investor relations process, I don't think people outside of large publicly traded companies really understand the incredible, uh, I almost call it a second job, right? That executives have in participating in the investor relations process. For someone who may not realize it, just take us very briefly inside. Like, if you're a C-level executive in a publicly traded company. Aside from your day job of, you know, running operations, you know, running IT, like what is the level of involvement that you should expect to have in IR? You know, I read a study recently that, you know, on average, you know, an exe- a senior leader, a senior executive will spend about 25% of their time directly involved with investor relations. And, and really what that means is we have a scorecard every quarter. We have to report our earnings every quarter. There has to be preparation, right? There's only, there, there's a few times where you can publicly provide updates to the investors or the, the, you know, the investment community. One would be the quarterly calls. So that involves a lot of preparation, right? Because these calls involve more than one executive discussing the results. So there's preparation for delivery of the, of the, of the speech. There's also preparing for the Q&A because we open it up for Q&A on the analyst side. We have a number, you know, there's other ways that you're going to meet investors and you want to do that through either conferences or roadshows. I mean, I, I can tell you, I can spend a few, you know, 
lots of time telling you where where I've been uh, across the world. You know, you think CN all the, is all uh, the all the glamorous know. conference rooms you've you've gone to. <laughs> That's right. Yes, exactly. So you know, you go to uh, a, a lot of conferences where you're actually going to do uh, uh, speaking. Right. Uh, for about, you know, half an hour right. and then an, an executive will accompany you to do that. Then you're going to do, you know, what we would call sit down one-on-one meetings throughout the day. So, I mean, you're there for a full day, uh, just, you know, speaking to investors, getting right. drilled by questions. So you have to have your, your executives prepared for that. You're going to be doing a, a roadshow going in a specific location where you feel that you can attract either new uh, shareholders or talk to your existing shareholders. Um, it's, it's just, preparing. Un, it's unrelenting. I mean, I, I cannot it is, believe. It is unrelenting. And, you know, I think back to your that second point that you made, the buy-in, it's the buy-in to involving you, but it's that buy-in, you got to commit to the process. And I think that's... You have to commit. Yeah. It, it's, if you sign up for a senior executive position in the publicly traded company, know what you're getting into. Um, and know your audience. Exactly. That, that was the third point. You know, one of the things I, I always admired about you and the, your team is the deep research you did on the audience. And, you know, I know there are a number of different audiences. You have institutional investors, the long-term holders of stock of a publicly traded company, but you also have analysts. T- talk to me about how you, you know, we at the Humphrey Group obviously spend a lot of time on audience, but you you really have it down to a science. How did the leading investor relations team prepare to understand the audiences they want to influence. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a great question because there are multitudes of, of audiences that you try to cater to, and and I think the the two big ones would be what we call the sell side and the buy side, right? The sell side are basically the analysts, and and they work for you know major banks, very major, uh, mostly mostly banks, and and really what they are is they're they don't buy your stock. What they do is they put out research and they actually recommend your stock, right? So you're always in competition because, you know, they have a buy on you. They, they may have a sell on somebody else or sometimes they downgrade you, upgrade you. So really the interaction with the sell side and, you know, in my time at CN, we had quite a few, over 30 analysts that would cover CN, you know, uh, based in Canada, the U.S. as, as well as Europe. And and you would think that you know you you though they have more of a short term view because what they do is they recommend their their clients and their clients are the ones that actually buy the shares to either you know have a buy a sell a hold on your stock and and their horizon is typically you know call it anywhere from nine to eighteen months so they're 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 much more short term view their questions are much much shorter term. When now we think of the buy side, the buy side are actually all the investors that buy your stock, right? So they're even within that, you have what we call longer term shareholders, really ones that will buy your stock and own your stock for five, 10, you know, 15, 20 years, whatever. And you have what we call the hedge funds, which are basically, you know, will own your stock in a very short term period, whether it's, you know, six, nine, 12 months. So Again, it's, it's depending on what you, the, the, the different investors, the audience that you have, um, you know, you're, you're going to have to prepare yourself because I do a lot of these calls on my own. But if I'm going with an executive to a conference, to a roadshow, depending on who I'm meeting, I'm going to have to adapt and make sure my uh, executive understands, you know, what type of questions, right, will, will they get and, and what type of you know, ex- expectations they will have from uh, some of these meetings. So it, it is very important to know your audience. That's one 
of the first things that, you know, that, that I really focused a lot. And, and even on the sell side, I would have different, I would, you know, technically have tier risk tier. Um, you know, I put them in different tiers because I know some analysts, sell side analysts have much more influence than others. So I would definitely want to spend more time with them relative to others. Yeah. I think one of the things I really appreciate and admire about the work in IR is, you know, in the depth of analysis that you could do. I mean, I look at some of the firms that you would hire, you do what you'd call perception studies with these deep levels of interviews and quantitative analysis pre and post investor days. You can really go deep and target the messaging. I mean, it's kind of the the ultimate uh, expression of how you develop messaging to reach an audience. So yeah, that's a that's a great third point. And it leads into your your fourth point, which I saw you and your team and your executives always demonstrate, which is preparation. You know, take me through, I thought, you know, maybe instead, obviously we say preparation is important, but let, let's just take an example, you know, a, a quarterly call. Walk people yep. listening through the preparation process for these quarterly earnings calls. What, would, what will happen starting, and let's just start, one quarterly call happens, now yeah. the clock is ticking. So tell, tell us how you prepare <laughs> for the next. Yeah, and I have to admit, uh, Bart. I mean, uh, it's funny when these quarterly calls are ended. Uh, the the following one comes pretty quickly. I mean, it's it's they're three months apart, but you know, to your point, we we do start preparing them. I would say at least a month uh, ahead of time. It's 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 making sure one you have the right date. There's you know you don't want to be in conflict with other uh, other companies in your same in, in the same industry. So there has to be uh, making sure you're 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 the right time. And then, you know, typically the speakers are, are pretty much all the same. But as I said, about a month ahead of time, we'll, we'll have to work on the communication just to put out the advisory, the press release, that's, you know, to the, to, to the public in general, because these quarterly calls are available on everybody's website. It's for anybody to listen. Uh, so there has to be communications well ahead of time that the call will take place on this date at this time. And then that's when you start really thinking about the 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 uh, the pre- preparing for the uh, for the earnings call. So, you know, we'll typically you know look at what we did the last quarter. We have a good view. We follow you know as you know we 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 you know we 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 have let's say in the case of rail, there's a lot of data out there in between the quarters. So we have a good view of what's happening, and even the outside does right in terms of are things getting better from a volume perspective, things like that. And and that's where we start preparing the executives. And really what we'll do is, you know, once we get the first set of, of, of the results, which is usually early in the in the month that we will be uh, presenting our, our quarterly call, then we'll kind of regroup together. And, you know, we'll, we'll kind of, you know, and, and you've done a, a few of those with us, uh, Bart, in the past, but I think it's, it's really an opportunity as the first meeting just to kind of debrief. And say, okay, you know, let's let's talk about, you know, how's the quarter been going, you know, especially we ask the CEO, what's what's on your mind? Where where do you think, you know, the the, the quarter shaping up, uh, the outlook? So it's kind of getting, uh, you know, think about it. I, I always think about it. It's a bit like a we're we're putting like a little book together. We have different chapters and say, okay, you know, this is where the quarter is, chapter one, uh, and then after that is, you know, where we think uh, we're going, uh, the outlook. Uh, so that's really the the first the first way is really to think about you know kind of lay of the land of the quarter, and then you know once we do that, 
I would go back and put all the notes together and send out what I would call kind of a storyboard, right? To give, give the story for each speaker, right? Based on the conversation we had. And then from there, um, you know, we would ask the, uh, the, the each speaker to start thinking about their script, right? So, you know, what we've done at CN is your call, the call in total is one hour, 20 minutes, typically of prepared remarks. And we leave a lot of time for Q&A, which I think is, is also very important in terms of the message you want to lay out there from the Q&A session. So it's putting, start putting that script together. Then we meet again. We, you know, we, we refine the script. Then we kind of, a bit of role play, we, we kind of put them all together. I make sure as the IR person that there is consistency, right? Because if I ask everybody right. to write their own script, they may go, you know, in each, each of their directions, we may be saying things, repeating things four times that we don't need to, right? So for right. me, is first thing is get everybody's script, put them all together and kind of, you know, play around with it. And then we kind of go through it and, and make some iterations. At the same time, the IR team will work on the presentation, right? Now we know a bit of the script, so we know how to get a sense of how do we attach some of these slides to it. So it's really an iterative process and, and we'll meet, you know, once, twice a week, right, on, uh, on, on the presentation, on the script. And then also in the background, what we do, as I said before, you know, about two thirds of the call is on Q and A's. Right. And I want to make sure the last thing I want is we're on the call and I get, you know, they get a question that comes out of the blue. Right. right? And they're and, surprised. And I'm not going to get all the questions. Right. They're surprised. Right. So that's, a lot of preparation, right? So it's yeah. really based on all the conversations that I had during the quarter with the investors, with the sell side, I get a sense pretty quickly of the direction of some of these questions, right? What type of questions, where are they going to focus on? And and that's why I would put together a list of, you know, 40 to 50 potential questions, right? And we would do a session or, you know, probably two to three sessions just on that, right? First is just, here are the list of questions I think are going to be out there. And then we do some role play. And, you know, one thing, a lot of things I learned from you, Bart, but I think, you know, one for sure that we've, we've always tried to, um, you know, to focus on is, you know, when you get a question, answer the question first, but then you take the opportunity to, to put out a message out there, right? Maybe there's something that you haven't been, you forgot or not forgot, but you did not have the opportunity to provide your, your prepared remarks. Use the opportunity of the Q&A to leverage that. Right? Totally. So, and, you know, we know that people's instinct in Q&A is to just open their mouth and start talking, right? And maybe an answer will pop out. But yeah, you know, just yeah. stepping back, I think, you know, you've just really given people an insight into the rigor that goes into one one-hour call every quarter and then layer on top of yeah. that that the link that has to be made to the story you've been telling I mean investor relations really is a narrative right it's not just one moment it's the story that you tell and how the story evolves and how you know it's the continuity and so linking it to all of that and i think you know that's really why preparation is so key and so much work goes into it and you can imagine that you know if i have four or five speakers you know from experience, Bart, they're all different, right? Yes. They have a different way of preparing. They have a different way of talking and, and, and answering questions. So it's, it's making sure that, and, and that's why, again, the preparedness is very important. And, and if, if we feel that they need that 
you know, that, that more work to be done, then we'll do that. But that, that's also very, very important is putting everybody, everybody in the, it needs to look like it's a cohesive call that we're working well together where we know what we're doing. And, you know, this is, this is, as you say, it's very, it's very important. The preparedness is so important in these quarterly calls, but any, any way that you, you know, you have uh, discussions with the, uh, with the investors. Yeah. You can't just show up and expect to figure it out in the moment. No. And, and I think, you no, know, it, that brings us to the last point is, you know, we, uh, I've often said, this is a bit of theater. <laughs> I mean, and I say that, yeah, I mean, look, the best actors are, authentically inhabiting their roles but it is the investor relations is a performance and there's a rehearsal there's different parts to play there's a there's a script to follow as you've alluded and so coordinating that performance and having it be authentic is so critical can you just talk a bit about i mean you worked with some phenomenal uh investor relations performers for lack of a better term i mean some of them I think about your CEO and CFO, just off the top of my mind, is two phenomenal examples when you see them on stage or on calls, Tracy Robinson, Gislant. What are the qualities that you look for that make someone exceptional as a, um, an executive in the, who participates in the IRO process? Yeah, I, I, I think one thing is, is, is the willingness to learn and the willingness to, to, to always learn more, right? So I think, you know, we, we always feel that, you know, we're, we're, we're good. And, and, you know, but, but I think it's important that you, you have the ability to learn where, as I said before, we're all different. Uh, but definitely, you know, when somebody that has, some people have communication skills that are, you know, they're just given, right. And it's easy. It seems easy for them, but I think behind that, there's a lot of pre- pre- preparation. And again, I, I think I'm always going back to this word of preparation, but, you know, sometimes it feels like it, it sounds easy when you see people talking, but in, in, in reality, they're, they're preparing a lot. And I think that, that that commitment for me is very important, right? And, and I've always had that at CN, that commitment. So go back as well to the buy-in, right? right. If I didn't have the buy-in, you know, maybe I wouldn't have uh, some of these executives preparing as much, right? Because they don't feel the value, but I, they understand the value of IR. So they will put the effort in uh, in 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 preparing for these uh, for these calls or or, or the uh, the roadshow and and maybe one other example that I I, I, I could talk about would be investor day hmm. right investor day and what is an investor been, day so for people who don't know so what they, investor day is what is it yeah so really an investor day is is um, is typically an event that you'll do. It's not on a. It's not every so many years. It, it's basically I view this as an event that you would put out when you have something, you know, you want to put out, lay out a new strategy or an updated strategy. So it's a an event that takes over maybe a day, a day and a half in specific locations where you bring a, a certain amount of investors and and the sell side, you know, typically you know seventy to hundred people, and you take that opportunity during that day, day and a half to highlight, you know, where are you taking this company on a more longer term period, right? So we have the earnings call that we'll talk about the current quarter, maybe the next year. Uh, uh, um, an investor day will be focused more, you know, typically three to five years can be beyond that. But that's really, and that's a big event. You know, if you think that I, we would have to, you know, prepare for the earnings call a month ahead, 
you know, Bart, you, you've done a few with me. Three, I think we did three. We, we, uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we, 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 you get the medal. <laughs> they're great experiences, but they're yeah. a lot of work. I mean, we, we would talk about this a year in advance, yeah, right? It's just totally. one booking the venue. Where do you want to do this? And then, you know, what's very, for me, important in investor day one is laying out a vision and laying out a strategy Two is laying, you know, again, they've, they've, most of the investors have already met your executive team, but they want them to have the confidence that that executive team will be able to deliver on these results. And also what I view as very important is they want to see who's the next leader of the, of the company that's coming up in the ranks, right? So they, it's a great opportunity. And I always hear that, you know, you talked earlier about perception studies. I think that's one thing that always comes out from investor days is their ability to be able to, to have a one-on-one conversation or just have an you know, informal discussion with somebody else than the senior leaders that they need on a regular basis. It's the, the next generation. So you can imagine, you know, the preparedness that we need for executives, the preparedness that we also need for all the other employees or, or uh, of, of the company that you want to showcase, right? They're, it's probably in most cases the first time that they interact with investors, right? So that in itself also involves a lot of preparedness, but at the end of the day, the payoff could be very, very big. And that's why I think, you know, preparing them well, making sure they communicate the story, again, the cohesion among the team, you got to look that you're working well together, that we have a great team and we can deliver because that's ultimately what you're telling investors is, you know, this is a great company we have a great strategy. We have the right team in place to do to execute what well, we want to buy in from investors. We want investors to buy your stock. That's what I mean. That's part of my role. I want investors to buy either more of my stock, buy into you know, want to get shareholders that never owned the company to buy in, or if you own my peers, I want you to buy my company as well. So that's the rewarding piece of of investor days, and and it's a lot of preparedness, but uh, again, very, can be very, very rewarding. Yeah. And I always felt that by the end, you know, everyone was exhausted, but everyone was smiling because you have that two day time where you really tell the story so powerfully. And for me, working with you and learning from you and the, the different executives we did them with, I learned so much. So it's a real privilege and it's great to, you know, now have you leading our investor relations practice and doing some for other companies as well. So before we, we wrap, Paul, because it's been incredibly informative, let, let, just a little fun interlude here for people who have never worked in investor relations, may never work in investor relations. I'm, I'm going to hit you with a few rapid fire fun questions. <laughs> so yeah, first yeah. question, what was the worst thing? The one thing about investor relations you're not going to miss? Yeah, I would say, uh, Bart, probably the, the, the one thing I won't miss is uh, waiting in an airport for a connecting flight. Going to, you know, for example, going to Europe, where I had 27 meetings in a week and I had to travel to a new city every night having dinner on an airplane. That's definitely something I'm not going to miss. I'm going to have more fun traveling to places like Europe and, and visiting and, and having fun there. But uh, that would right. be one, uh, one, okay. I, one thing I won't miss. Next hot take, next quick follow-up question. Average number of flight segments a year. How many did you do? <laughs> What's your guess? I would say probably, uh, you know, 150 of them, many of them in North America, but, you know, I've been to Europe, been to Asia, been to Australia, 
you know, th- th- those are fun to, to travel. But as I said before, uh, waiting in airports and things like that could be a bit grueling. Toughest thing that people wouldn't know about being in investor relations? Uh, everything that happens in the background, I think. I think sometimes, you know, people view, and, and, and just again, back to traveling, it, it looks exotic. You're going, you know, I was spending a week in Europe, you know, Paris, London, Frankfurt, you know, Geneva, Looks really fun, but uh, at the end of the day, you're working a lot. Right. You're you're basically in meetings all day. So I think it's it's a lot of what we talk today. It's the preparedness that happens in the background. That you know, if if done it correctly in a good way, can be very rewarding. And last question: the one thing you really miss about it is is all the people that I work with. I mean, uh, and, 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 and I'll be honest, uh, especially some of the, the traveling that I've done with some of the executives at the end were, you know, these are times where you can get away from business in some cases and just talk about other things. And, and that's the thing I miss is that, you know, that interaction with your, with your colleagues, interaction with investors. I mean, I would have investors that I talk to on a regular basis, right? So yeah, it's, it's that human, you know, interaction. Uh, definitely something that I miss for sure. It reminds me, Paul, on that topic. Um, uh, another client of mine who left the Canadian Special Forces, Paul Carroll, he's actually been on this pod. I asked him once, he moved to banking. What do you miss about, you know, the military? He said, I don't miss the circus, but boy, do I miss the performers. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, Paul, thanks for coming on the pod and taking people who don't know the world of investor relations, taking them on a you know, short but very informative tour of this super intensive and critical process. You know, the, the big points, view it as a way to unlock your old value, get that buy-in from leadership, know your audience, get prepared, and it's all about the performance, I think, really resonate. And that's why I'm so glad to have you on the Humphrey Group team leading our investor relations practice and uh, bringing this wisdom to, uh, to our clients. So thanks so much for coming on. And... Um, for all the work we did together. I'm glad that we can continue even in your retirement. Yeah. So thank you very much, Bart. And I'm, I'm super excited with the, with this opportunity and really looking forward to, uh, you know, to unlocking value for, uh, for other companies. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll stay tuned. Thanks so much, Paul. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Paul Butcher. Bright, bright guy. I feel very privileged to have worked with him for so long and now to have him come to the Humphrey Group to lead our investor relations practice. Stay tuned for our page on LinkedIn uh, if you like what you heard because Paul's publishing content on their blog and there's more of his great wisdom there. So uh, if you're interested in talking with him, he's at pbutcher at thehumphreygroup.com and would love to have a conversation with you. So... That's a wrap for season five. It's been a great season. Hard to believe we're five years in, over 100,000 listens, ton of episodes, and uh, it's been fun. So the pod will go on the hiatus while I start recording season six and look forward to talking with so many more great people in the year ahead. Thanks so much. May all your words be inspired.